What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Apartment 113 podcast, where we talk with cool folks in the cannabis and psychedelics industry to learn about their projects and celebrate their successes. My name is Rob Sanchez, and this is episode 35. Today, we're joined by Mike Mamala. He's a business developer at WebDelix. WebDelix is a platform devoted to educating people about the benefits of psychedelics, encouraging better minds for a better tomorrow. Find out more at webdelics.com and enjoy the show. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Great to be here, man. Hey, it's 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 good to have you and it's it's also good to break the trend. I've been introducing the show as, you know, advocating for the cannabis and psychedelic space and we've not had that um, that true psychedelics guest yet, so you're uh, you're setting the trend. Ah, thank you very much. And um, and I think what a guest to bring on for it as well, man. Looking at your background, uh, you've been involved in a ton of projects and some kind of some interesting professional areas to have found your way to psychedelia. I think that's the story that I'm I'm very interested in hearing today, and kind of how you turned that corner or came to be an advocate for the psychedelic side. Absolutely. Uh, first of all, again, thanks for, for having me. Great to speak to you as always. Um, yeah, my background is, you know, I, I tell people it's, it's kind of like uh, pinball, not bowling. Uh, and I wouldn't want it any other way. I, I, first 20 years of my career I spent as a trial attorney. I was a founding partner of a law firm in the Northeast of the United States. And uh, that, that firm is still flourishing today. While I was a partner there and a litigator, I began working with some other individuals on various companies. Became really interested in startups and early stage companies. And so I started working with them more and more. And so about eight years ago, I found myself, you know, I grew up single mother, worked three jobs to raise my sister and I, so we didn't have a lot. And so for me, and when I say didn't have a lot, we had a lot of happiness, we had a lot of fun, but we didn't have a lot of money. And so for me, I thought, you know, once I got some money, then that was the answer to everything. That's all I ever needed. <laughs> and so, so about eight years ago, I found myself in a situation where I, I had done, you know, I thought more than I ever would in my life in terms of financially, things were great, houses, cars, boats, beach houses, all of that. And I was literally lying on the couch of, of the dream home that my wife and I built. And I was looking up at the 24-foot ceilings, and I just had, like Mike Tyson would say, that mule kick to the chest of, I'm not happy. And it, like, kind of just stopped me in my tracks, and I said, how, how is this possible? And, you know, I've done everything everyone ever told me that I needed to do to be happy or to be successful, and more, and yet here I am. And so, you know, fortunately, I was able to sit with that for a minute and, and really kind of, like, explore what that was all about and that sent me on a, a spiritual journey that I'm still on to this day and that was very foreign to me you know growing up and becoming a professional becoming an executive being a trial attorney spirituality uh, alternative ways of living that was so that was so foreign to me that it was never on my radar 
And much so, different line of thinking than the standard day-to-day for an attorney. Very different. I had never encountered it. I didn't even know the word, quite frankly. And did, did the idea or did kind of the revelation or that kind of perspective on your happiness and accomplishments come because of psychedelics or was that before kind of um, so, considering yeah, I think, them? Yeah, I think it was a, a process. So I started, I decided that I wanted to learn everything that I had never learned. And so I began traveling, um, you know, staying at ashrams and studying with shaman and different things and um, meditating and, and biohacking in every way that I could to figure awesome. out what, what yeah. life was really about. Yeah, to really figure out, you know, what, what is success? I wanted to redefine success and, and not just have, you know, money as, a, as the major portion of success as it is for so many of us, you know, in so many places around the world. And while I was on that journey, I uh, was trying to help a family member who was struggling with addiction. And it didn't matter, you know, what we did for him, it, how much we spent, treatment centers, etc. cetera. Um, nothing worked. And a uh, high earner, great person, just had, had their own demons. And so one of my spiritual mentors, I was telling her about it, and she said, well, you need to learn about psychedelics. This was six years ago. And she said, you need to learn about psychedelics. And I looked at her jokingly and said, well, we, we really don't need any more drugs. That's kind of the problem here. And she looked at yeah. me, because I had known her for 30 years, and she looked at me in the eyes and said, they're not drugs, they're medicines. They've been used by indigenous people for thousands of years, and you need to learn about them. And that was it. I went home that night. I, you know, I was on the internet for about five hours, learning everything I could. Falling down a rabbit hole, that watching Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. And <laughs> haven't come back and since then I've made it a point to we've traveled my wife and I have traveled the world we've met with people around the world invested in individuals invested in companies that are working with plant medicines in various ways trying to help people and really you know put the 10,000 hours in to absolutely understand the profound impact that they can have on helping people and you know mental health and all of the things that go along with it. And so I went from being the guy who, you know, didn't understand this and kind of, um, you know, shied away from it in many ways. I was just kind of background and context. I paid my way through college and law school in New York City and North Jersey as the MC of uh, a lot of nightclubs up there. So I was surrounded. I was in the party. I was in the belly of the beast every night until 4 or 6 a.m., it wasn't an accessibility problem. <laughs> well, it was not, not, not at all. But I had never done anything. Never. I, I, I don't know why. It was just, you know, just didn't. And now I understand why. I wanted, I guess, all of that experience, that exposure. But I, I, maybe the universe had me coming to this ultimately. And so, go ahead. Yeah, right. Still heading that, heading that way. You had to live through it first or kind of experience that those times of life before, before considering psychedelia. Yes, sir. And so, um, since then, like I said, I've spent a tremendous amount of time understanding, experiencing, appreciating, respecting all of what plant medicines have to offer. And so now, you know, because of the network that I built before all of this, whether it was as an attorney or through the television shows we had or the podcasts or as a consultant or advisor for various groups. You know, I had these groups of uh, professionals and professional athletes and other athletes and celebrities, high net worth individuals who are in my circles and are my friends and my business partners and my 
you know, perhaps investors and companies all now looking at me saying, why are you talking about psychedelics? What's this all about? Saying what happened to Mike over the weekend? Did you lose your <laughs> mind? Yeah. And I said, no, actually, I found it. And um, so now people have come around. Now it's been long enough that people have come around. You know, enough is happening with shows that are on Netflix and articles that are coming out in magazines. And the data's in, right? The results are there. Nobody can refute it. The world is more ready to hear it or society's getting a little bit more uh, open-minded around that conversation where maybe even just five years ago, it's fallen on deaf ears and you know, almost completely um, kind of on the sidelines. Absolutely. And from a psychedelic, for the psychedelic industry and for those listening that have not delved deeper into the space, in, in particular, it's psilocybin, LSD, um, and then peyote, DMT, and more organic psychedelics that are being used in these, these therapeutic approaches. But there are also synthetics and uh, variations of all these molecules that are kind of being developed for treatments as well. Is there a particular, um, a particular type, I guess, that you uh, believe strongly in or that you had value from in, in treating that, that friend of yours? Yeah, both. Um, so for me personally, I've, you know, I've experienced a number of them and have had tremendous benefits, um, life-changing, literally. You know, anybody that, that has read about this or experienced it knows that you know, if done right, this is up there with the, the most important and profound things that have ever happened in your life. Like it's, it can be ritualistic like that, yeah. right? Sacred. Yeah, absolutely. And so to answer your question, um, psilocybin, incredibly effective and impactful in my life. Um, but with some of the people that I've worked with, Iboga or Ibogaine, which is something that not a lot of yes. people know about, is incredibly, incredibly important. And that was the one that ultimately pulled me into the space to help not just the person I was referencing, but others who are struggling with addiction. And I know a lot of smart people in the world who try to help people and had up until now, you know, now it's getting more uh, coverage. But, you know, four years ago, five years ago, not a lot of people were talking about it. We're talking about something that could help people uh, heal, not treat, but heal themselves overnight from, from all kinds of addictions. That's a that's a very big difference there too between treatment and and healing and that kind of cleared slate that you can get from integrating after a psychedelics trip is truly that's the opportunity to you know to heal or to remove any pieces that you didn't like before or add any new ones. I uh, the analogy I like to tell people is a psychedelics kind of pulls up the anchor of of your mind right where it's been anchored down for so long in the seafloor. And um, you drift around and mostly you land like right around the same spot again, but it's never like exactly the same spot, right? And that's kind of the fun part, I think, and the, the potential there too for being able to heal from addictions, from PTSD. Um, I had a really, really great effects from microdosing mushrooms on kind of anxiety and depression, kind of getting me up and going and kind of tackling some things. And, and this was a boost to my own kind of mindset maybe six, seven years ago that I'm still operating on the fuel of. So it's kind of been a life-changing substance in that regard. Um, Ibogaine is not one that I'm, I'm familiar with. I've tried uh, like DMT, ketamine, and acid and mushrooms, and I guess combinations of those together and, and really found my way um, 
in a party scene, but actually ended up migrating away from that towards meditation um, after after being on some trips that were perhaps a little too powerful, too fast. I had to find solace and find that inner temple. Um, and I think that kind of moved me towards Zen and that um, different approach towards psychedelia and really using it to heal and um, actually improve your life. And I mean, from the integration side, it's just unreal what can be done um, for some addictions. Ibogaine yeah. is one that takes a little bit of purging or it takes some preparation for, right? It's a more intense, uh, longer journey. Yeah, it does. It takes it takes some real work, and it's the granddaddy of, of all psychedelics. It's you know, if ayahuasca is grandmother, iboga or ibogaine is grand granddaddy, and it's uh, it's powerful. I mean, it's not a pleasant experience for people that go through it. It's uh, very often a 36-hour period where you lie down and experience the most painful things in your life. But anybody who understands addiction understands that addiction is the symptom of uh, an emotional pain, right? At the root of every addiction is an emotional pain. And in our society, we don't learn how to lean into the pain and work through it. And me to call you and say, hey, Rob, I'm in pain. Um, I need help. Can you help me? We don't do that. We bang our chest and we see who earns more money and, and that's the solution. And, and that's not because that doesn't help. And so this allows people to really, like you said, kind of pull up that anchor and start to drift around where they need to, to get the kind of help that they need from themselves. Right. And I think that's the that's really the, the unbelievable part that it's, you know, from themselves, it's it's within the mind and kind of within their own experience that benefits can be found. Like in my in in my experiences, you know, I wasn't seeing a therapist or or, you know, no one was helping me, per se, with integration. So I think there were some gaps in my in my kind of uh, accomplishments in quotes, I guess. But uh I, I can definitely see the value, though, and like kind of see that that need to sometimes just step away or step outside yourself to realize what you've been doing, blocking your progress or, you know, some old memory or old thought that you've been carrying around right in front of you that actually is, is important, but it could be in your back pocket. Right. It doesn't have to be like your your billboard. You're showing the world anymore. That kind of thing. Right. And there and there's you're absolutely right. And there are now. You know, the data's in, the studies are in. For example, you talk about psilocybin or mushrooms. Um, we have something called neurogenesis. We see that the brain actually physiologically starts to form new neural pathways. So this isn't just something where, you know, somebody perceives that there's a change in their life. There are real changes. We can see what's going on, and that's what's so extraordinary. Wild. So it's, yeah, it's much more than that that perception. That's that's pretty crazy to think about too, that it's not that it's not that you're thinking different. It's that your mind is actually different now after that. Yeah. I was, I was speaking to someone about it recently and they, and they use the analogy of kind of ruts in a, in a, a muddy road and right. Our, our cars are, we're, we're caught in those ruts. Those are the pathways that we've formed like it or not from childhood until today. And it's very difficult to get out of those ruts, but these medicines provide us with an opportunity to create new ruts so that we don't have to be stuck in them anymore. Right, and that may be kind of their historical case for illegalization and stigmatization as well, because challenging those well-established roads tends to not go over well societally and <laughs> politically. Well. That's right. And, you know, I could go on for days about this, but the, the biggest problem is that anybody who's experienced psychedelics, you see that connectivity. 
that we are one with ourselves, we are one with each other, we are one with the universe and the universe is. And, and that doesn't always bode well in uh, you know, a situation where people are trying to be, or not trying to be, but are often divided, whether they like it or not, um, because of financial or other benefits. Yes, kind of the, the great unifier, um, yeah. the psychedelic kind of thread that's weaving through everything. I think that's a, uh, it, it's prevalent and it's hard to explain without having kind of a psychedelic experience or without seeing some of those values. I, I think I, um, I pause before like explaining trips because I never want to say like, oh, this, it was this cool thing or this like, you know, this magical thing that I'm trying to make someone feel like, you know, jealous of that I experienced a fun thing. It's more like they were trials. I feel like it's not necessarily an easy ride, even though you might see some beauty or, you know, dance your heart out, um, along the way. It's still, it's, it still can be, um, full of ups and downs there as you kind of tackle your own personality. I think that, um, I can, when I first, uh, consumed or first started tripping a little bit more, I came into a scene where everyone was very used to psychedelics and kind of comfortable with their mindsets and their bodies in uh, different states. And I honestly, I think it took me a few months to even just get over my personal thoughts to even enjoy that, um, that scene and that crowd. And now looking back, I, I almost miss it and kind of uh, like the opportunity to, to be in that kind of community and, and have those chances. Um, I've, busy on the project front as well. I'm working with uh, some clients in the cannabis space and and building a few things of my own and raising a family and psychedelia doesn't always fit into the, into the picture as much as it used to, I think for lack of better words, but it's still definitely still there and, uh, and near and dear. Yeah. And I think that's the experience that more and more people are having. And you talked about it, you know, distinguishing for the members of your audience that aren't familiar with, with this topic the difference between microdosing and or macro or transformational or what people refer to as heroes uh, level dosing. Right. Um, <laughs> right. So, so there is, if, if people aren't ready or aren't, uh, don't feel a calling to have that, that psychedelic experience that, that can be very powerful and very, very healing, but sometimes very challenging. Microdosing is really, you know, in my opinion, microdosing will be the like the, the equivalent of today's daily supplement in five years. The standard. Right? Yeah, it's going to be the standard that people for anxiety, PTSD, depression, addiction, all of these things. It's incredible, and for people that aren't familiar with microdosing, it's taking something like psilocybin, uh, mushrooms, or, or something in an amount or a dosage that doesn't have any perceptible effect, right? You can still drive a car, you can fly an airplane, you can, you can tend to your needs as a, as a father or mother, um, but it still has all of those beneficial effects of the neurogenesis that we talked about. It's still in incredible ways. If, you know, people that I've, we've worked with and that I'm close to, to see that these, and I call them kids because if they're under 30, to me they're a kid, but, you know, they've been on prescription medication since they're 15 because their parents thought they were doing the right thing by sending them to a psychiatrist who dosed them up on a bunch of prescription medication. Mm -hmm. To see them for the first time in their life feeling like they're alive and not experiencing debilitating depression uh, or PTSD almost overnight is, is nothing short of a miracle. Right. And, and being able to live normal life and not have those psychedelic experiences, you know, the 
like a, a, a macro dose or a transformative type experience that people can um, stumble into and, you know, media and pop culture may uh, glorify or idolize in some way, right? The, the true benefits and even the ones that I had were really off, but taking between 0.2 and 0.3 grams of mushrooms every few days. And I didn't change anything. On those days, I tried my hardest not to even think about anything psychedelic or do anything, you know, substance related. I was just living my normal life. And um, yeah, man, I can see the value there for sure. If, if you could just take that as a vitamin and kind of keep your mind right. Um, you know, we have all these ways to heal the body and some much more invasive than others with surgery and, you know, chiropractic, chiropractic uh, treatments. We don't have a lot for the mind other than CBT and kind of uh, therapy and, you know, talking it through and things like that. But actually seeing the results at the end of something is, is hard to, it's hard to claim that you get that more than microdosing or experiencing psychedelics. You know, coming from the world of trial law, we call that evidence. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> it's hard to refute the evidence. The evidence is in the data. You, you can look at studies from Johns Hopkins or the Imperial College of London or now almost every great teaching institution has a division that's studying this and getting, bringing the data in. It's irrefutable and it is in many ways the future of mental health. And for that reason, you know, talking about my journey, that's, that's what brought me to where I am now. One of the things that I'm, I'm doing is I'm serving as chief strategy officer for a company called Webdelix. And Webdelix is a, uh, it's W-E-B-D-E-L-I-C-S.com. Webdelix is positioning itself to be the WebMD of psychedelics in many ways, right? So no company has really captured the global brand on consumer education. In other words, how does Rob find a place that's credible and competent where he can learn about ayahuasca or ibogaine or uh, psilocybin or ketamine or whatever from credible, competent individuals and then start to learn about the places that he might be able to go to experience them. So that's what we're doing. We, you know, we're really excited about this, building out this education platform and community. Um, for the that's first excellent. Time. Yeah. So right. So really helping folks to then find like a ketamine treatment clinic, ketamine yes. treatment clinic, or, you know, some psilocybin therapy and you know, being able to participate in some of these trials that are openly being run. Um, I was actually surprised at the, at the prevalence of ketamine, ketamine, uh, treatment clinics right now. There's they're all over, and the some of the studies on suicide per, suicide prevention uh, with ketamine are just unreal to see an actual drug that that helps someone who's on kind of on that ledge at that point. Um, and you know, seeing that we've had these substances moving around society for all these years, and now we're just we're just now um, finding the scientific value there. Uh, what what are your thoughts on the on the delay or kind of on this these decades of um, of a, experimentation without without psychedelia and and or like natural substances? Well, my thoughts on the the delay is I'm appalled by it. I think that either intentionally or inadvertently, uh, members of our government and members of our health agencies dropped the ball. Uh, whether that was intentional because other industries wanted to profit or not is a conversation for another day. It's but, a whole documentary there. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's, there's a lot there to unpack. But where we are today, to your point, with ketamine is extraordinary. Um, it is, we're working with groups, I'm working with groups across the country 
that are working with uh, veterans organizations and first responders and the um, I can tell you just from firsthand experience you know the number one cause of suicide in police officers in the United States is suicide the number one cause of death in police officers in the United States is suicide that shouldn't be and when you look right. at yeah right when you look at veterans who have come back from war um, very very difficult for them to reintegrate into society and, and often many of them take their own lives we've seen firsthand the effects of ketamine being able to change these individuals essentially overnight almost a, like a single we, dose right and you're yeah feeling in, different from it yeah. in a single dose to see what you would perceive as one of the biggest toughest guys in the world break down to tears and literally say this this saved my life where has this been and it's so powerful that they become ambassadors, just like I am. Like, I didn't expect, you know, seven or eight years ago when I started with spirituality and, and then started getting into understanding psychedelics a few years after that, I didn't expect that I would be here doing this. I didn't expect that I would be the CSO of a company that's focused on this. But once you experience and once you witness the impact that this can have on yourself and other people and people that you love, you can't help but embrace it. This is yeah, appalling. It's it's something you need to share. Yeah. I, I remember a few times, um, like at a festival, just like over this overwhelming feelings in my head that I needed to show this to my brothers, like, and who were just not in the scene at all. Like, you know, weren't really parting with me or even living in the same state, but I just kept coming back to this idea that I needed to show them that, or like even bring all my aunts and my family and like show them this thing. And like, I don't, I can't explain like the, the pull to do that. I mean, in reality, there's not much I can do for my, my aunts and uncles in their 60s and 70s from a psychedelics perspective. But in that moment, I felt like I needed everyone to know, you know, and to share it, uh, like as if it were, it were a gift. Um, on, on the ketamine is, side, right? I... Go ahead. Go I ahead. just want to say, because I think what you just said is so beautiful, and I agree with you. And I think what's happening there is that this is the closest thing to love that we know, right? When yeah. you're sharing this, you're sharing love. Is you're sharing this unconditional ability for me to help you heal yourself, or for me to help you feel this unconditioned sense of being in this in this world that, in many ways, doesn't teach us love. It doesn't allow us to heal. Uh, this is what that is to me. Right, right. And I think that that's a really good, um, that's really eloquent way to put it. I think that my brothers are who I would love the most, and you know, to have them come to my mind in in these these depths of psychedelia is kind of poignant in and of itself, uh, kind of sweet. Yeah. And I think that's, um, and that's kind of, I, I, unfortunately, I, I think like that's the therapeutic thread that's like underlying psychedelia. Um, how, from your perspective, how can the psychedelic industry try to separate itself from um, a party scene or from a more recreational use of the of the substances or how can it try to connect with a recreational audience to highlight the therapeutic benefits or the kind of potential there? It's a great question. I think that there is therapy in recreational use in many ways. Um, if done right, done responsibly, right? Everyone can, that's done it that way can appreciate that, I think. I think... To the first part of your question, it's really about, you know, stepping away from the stigma, helping through education, uh, getting away from, you know, some of the terms that have been used, getting away from some of the images that have been used to help people understand, like, this is a real thing. I think for me, like, that's part of, I think, the credibility that I have when I speak to people. They see me as 
the guy who, you know, I, I haven't been the party guy. I haven't been to 100 Grateful Dead and Fish concerts and, and partied for the last 30 years. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I haven't been. But I am the guy that's understood that there are ways of us helping each other and us healing each other. Um, and I'm open-minded enough, I think, to understand that if it works and I feel the kind of love, like we talked about, that I do, and I want to share that with people, then they'll say, okay, there must be something here. Um, and so Coming from with the background that you have, it, it maybe almost has a different echo, right? A it, different timber because of your professional associations, um, time spent as, a, as an attorney as well, and, and kind of coming to agree with some of these deadheads or kind of folks that may be more established psychonauts is probably a surprise to to many. And let me just be clear, you know, so much of what I know today, and like I said, I've put the time in, but so much of what I know and understand today was learned from people that are on the quote-unquote fringe of society, from the quote-unquote hippies, from the, the psychonauts, from the deadheads, the people that have been doing this, like, now, Shout out to the fringe of society. Yeah, I'm, I'm right here with you. <laughs> absolutely. Um, but because of, and I think that's it, it's by bringing in different types of people who have different types of backgrounds and having these conversations, that's how we start to change it. And for me, like I said, you know, one of the, some of the conversations, now, it's more than one now, that I've had are with local politicians where I might talk to, to Rob, and Rob happens to know the, the mayor because he does business with him in, in a local town. And the next thing you know, I get a call saying, can you speak to the mayor? He's interested or she's interested in learning mm. about decriminalization in, in our town. I've had multiple conversations across the country with people like that now, like people starting to wake up. And I'll give you a funny example. I had been speaking to a local town for about a year and a half telling them about the benefits because they have a, an opioid epi epidemic, just like so many cities across America, and telling them about the, the benefits of, of Ibogaine and Iboga and what they can do and how it can be done, et cetera, and talking to them about psilocybin and decriminalization in various other cities. And I was getting some favorable response, and not as much as I'd hoped for, but a little. And then one Monday morning, I got a call from the, the mayor's chief of staff, and then you know, an hour later, a message from the mayor saying, we need to talk, we need to talk. And, and I called them and I said, what happened? They said, did you see 60 Minutes last night? And I said, no, what happened? And they said, Prince Harry was on there. And Prince Harry talked about all this stuff that you've been talking about and how it saved his life after the death of his mother. And I said, it, it took Prince Harry to tell you what I've been telling you? Like, <laughs> I've been trying to tell you this, but that's, you know, that, that's what I'm saying. People, are, it's coming in from every angle now. So it's starting to get the attention of yes. everybody. Right. And I've seen that, uh, yeah, it's many different regions, different cities are looking at decrim. Um, some of the companies are really starting to, to spin up business and research on, you know, alternatives and on, you know, derivatives of, of known medicines as well. I think it's, uh, the whole industry is kind of on that precipice, right? Kind of waiting to, to get some serious traction and, um, be able to do larger tests and kind of like lar larger, more public focus groups and things like that. For uh, for anyone who is interested in you know finding out more about psychedelic therapies or the potential psychedelic benefits, while your website is is in the making, are there any organizations or kind of outlets or resources that you would recommend you know interested folks and listeners? Yeah, no, the the website's it's up and running. It's it's fully. I mean, it's been live. We have thirteen episodes, I think, now of the podcast is there. Animated videos. 
13 or 14 different medicines that you can research thoroughly. We've put together an advisory board from around the world of scientists, neuroscientists, shaman, indigenous people to provide this information. So I would say oh, excellent. webdelix.com, yeah. yeah, or you know, follow me on social media at Mike Mamola, M-I-K-E-M-U-M-O-L-A, um, where I put things up and you know, feel free to reach out anytime. I'm happy to share and open up my network to whoever is interested and, and needs help in any way. And uh, are there any projects for you coming around the corner? Um, any additional uh, uh, projects, I should say? I see, I see from your background that you've been involved in many different kind of groups and startups. Um, are, are you acting more as an angel investor at this point or board member or still kind of down in the trenches um, running some things? I'm still running, so I'm working with Webdelix. Like I said, one of the other companies that I work with closely is called Cosmic Wire. Cosmic Wire is a premier uh, technology infrastructure, Web3 and Metaverse company. And so we're doing some really, really exciting things there. Yeah, and I see that the, you know, the, the, the real potential for convergence is in the not so far future between the worlds of like a Cosmic Wire and a Webdelix where we'll be able to provide these methods of healing and these opportunities for digital collaboration and unity and connectivity through technology and that's really exciting for me too because you know a veteran who's sitting suffering in, in, in his house or her house in Wichita, Kansas can't necessarily attend in a meaningful way an event in San Francisco but what if for the first time we could start bringing people together for preparation and then pre-ceremony integration uh, hmm. opportunities that's really exciting. Wow yeah that is um that is potentially life-changing there, as not everyone can get to the ayahuasca circles, you know, or the, the temples that uh, would, would be able to see them through. But to bring that inside their homes or in their, their local you know, communities, I think, is a, a powerful approach for sure. How, how do you think the psychedelics industry will unfold in the next, let's say, 5, 10, 20 years? Mm. So hard to say 20. I don't even know if I could imagine 10. <laughs> after the after psychedelics finally hit, we're going to have a lot of ruts change and 20 is going to be a lot different. Well, that's it. We're talking about an entirely different kind of human being, right? Someone who arguably is more compassionate, more open-minded, more connected, more willing to love, more willing to share. Uh, that's a different kind of human being than many of the people we've been surrounded by, for better or for worse, you know, for the last 50 years. And I think that's, that's what makes it so difficult to kind of project or predict the future. I think in the next five years, everything changes. You know, we're seeing everything starting to open up, decriminalization across the country, a number of cities already, a couple of states already. It's, you know, whether they, they've already had decriminalization uh, or if not, they've already passed bills for that to occur. So I think in the next five years, we start to see that this becomes more and more commonplace. I think that the, you know, when someone goes to a psychiatrist or a psychotherapist, uh, this becomes commonplace. To, for them to not, for some sort of a mental health professional, to not incorporate psychedelics in the future won't be a thing. They, they will have to or they can't be part of what's happening. It's just part of the, the common the regime at that point, the, it's the standard the toolkit. Yeah, it's the future of mental health. I, I can definitely see it. I can see it forming, and it's, it's been so exciting to, to go to those conferences and kind of participate in that, in that forefront. Well, and it's been great to learn a little bit about you here, Mike. I think there's plenty to talk about. We'll have to get you on a, 
a future episode to dig in deeper to the to the Web3 items and kind of your involvement on the crypto space and the sure. the combination of crypto and psychedelia um, is is something that on one hand, I could see the connection very well with the web space and the complexity of kind of online metaverses. And then on another, it's um, very different with psychedelia being so organic and personal and then tech being so man-made, but to mirror that kind of personality, I think it's a lot in there, um, a lot to unpack. Are you combining the two or operating kind of in separate um, separate tranches on those two at the point? Yeah, they're, they're, they're separate silos currently, but I think the more and more we look at the future, the closer we come between computer and human technology, and in many ways those can benefit each other. I think there's an absolute, to your point, there's an absolute benefit to keeping them very separate in many ways. You know, I disappear into nature as much as I can, <laughs> uh, as you can see from, from my background, right? Um, yeah, I, that's I the way to do it. Yeah, the, the, it's important because nature, you know, if you've been through a ceremony or you've been through an experience, you understand that nature is a critical part of the integration. And, I, you know, I tell people, they, they say, oh, yeah, I want to go into, go into nature, go into nature. Like, you don't go into it. You are it. We are a part of nature. And the more that we're willing to accept that part of ourselves and incorporate that part of ourselves, the quicker we are to, to heal ourselves, to recognize our real place in the universe. And so... Although I think that there is an absolute benefit of the, between the convergence of computer and human technology, there's also, like anything else in life, there's a balance where you have to separate yourself from all of it. Right. Yeah, and it's, a, it's that balance that, that everyone's seeking to find and that I think that the psychedelics industry is um, really poised to deliver or at least to provide the tools to, to make it so. Yeah, thank you again, Mike, for jumping on. Rob, thank you so much. It's been great speaking. Look forward to speaking more. Thank you for listening to the Apartment 113 podcast. For more information about the show, along with our services and courses, visit apt113.com. We offer cannabis software product management, cannabis education courses, and freelance writing. With over a decade of experience in the cannabis industry, Apartment 113 is here to help.